Good morning, FCF. Um, very excited about starting a new series with you. We'll be taking a journey for the next six weeks. And in working on this series, an old image came back to my mind. My wife and I were talking back and forth about titles for the series and so forth. But back around 1985, 1986, it was uh, my first church. I had a little Baptist church for about seven and a half years. And this was eh, my first year or two, maybe year one, year two. But uh, one of the members of that little Baptist church was a guy that was director of Skycroft, which was a Baptist retreat center. It's right over in Middletown. And because he was part of the church, we get to, got to go up there and do things, and it was really kind of cool. So our tiny little church, and I mean it was tiny little. The church never got to be more than about 100 people at its best, and when I first started there, it was 12. Anyway, uh, we were up at Skycroft, our tiny little church, and we were eating food and enjoying you know, just fun together. And the thought came, hey, man, let's have a tug of war. And so we had this big, thick, enormous rope that they had up there at Skycroft. And so we all teamed up, you know, and I was involved in it too. And so, you know, we're all ready to tug on this huge, huge, thick rope. And so one, two, three, go. And I'll never forget this. It was the strangest thing I've ever seen in my life. We both started pulling, and I mean, it was a group of us pulling. And I saw the rope just stretch like a rubber band. I, I couldn't believe my eyes. And before I even knew what was happening, I heard this big pop. And the next thing I know, I'm on the ground. Everybody else is on the ground. And, uh, and that was the end of that tug of war. Now, it's an interesting picture because I think it serves as a great analogy for what this new series of messages is about. Um, the tug of war, we're going to call it tug of war slash love. I believe that as human beings, all of our life we are looking for love. We, we want to be loved and we want to give love. We, we are hopelessly relational beings. We never get enough love. We never give enough love. We want love at multi-levels. We want strangers to treat us with love. We want friends to treat us with love. We want extended family members and immediate family. You know, there's all these different levels. We want to feel loved and we want to learn how to make them feel loved in all these levels. But it turns in sometimes to a tug of war. Now, the interesting thing about that tug of war, I was thinking about it. Who won? Uh, who won and who lost? Or maybe did everybody win or did everybody lose? When we're in this tug of war for love, sometimes it feels like we're losing and we might be winning and sometimes we might think we're winning and we're actually losing. We're gonna, we're gonna try to touch this vast theme. Now all I can do is hit on six components and I tried to pick some very, very practical components. This series is gonna deal with relationships. Right now, disclaimer. I'm leading this series, but I want to tell you something. After 47 years of following Jesus and being older than I like to talk about, I am a baby learner, beginner, student in this process of learning how to love God's way. Uh, I'm still wide-eyed and still seeking to grow and still seeking to learn, but I'm trying to say to you, I'm not holding myself up as the perfect model. I'm just uh, another follower of Jesus, trying to learn every day of my life, trying to grow, often doing very poorly, often taking two steps back, uh, you know, or three steps forward and two steps back, and, and often it's even worse than that. So, okay, there, there's a disclaimer. So what we want to do today, we want to start the series off by 
recognizing the purpose. Well, what is the purpose uh, of God making us in His image, making us, making us these love-driven creatures? And by the way, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says this. It says that love is from God. Verse 8 says God Himself is love. He's personified as love. But this experience that we have, this drive to love and to be loved, it comes from God. All the love in the universe, it comes from God. He is the source of it. Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40 or 39, remember, he summed up all of life in a couple commands. A guy asked him, what are the, what's the greatest command? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Life is meant to be about love. Love is the only way that individuals that have free will rational abilities to think and emotions can live in harmony with one another and be a blessing and a safe community to one another. I must be, you must be, we all must be governed by this principle that God calls love that, that He is ever, ever motivated by and governed by. So love comes from God. So what we want to look at in this first message is just a couple things. We want to first of all discover it's extraordinary beauty, this purpose that God has. We want to recognize God's purpose in this love drive, in this relational drive that He's put within us. We want to recognize, and it's an extraordinary, beautiful one. The Scripture teaches that God, way back in eternity past, decided that the very greatest thing, the best thing, the most loving thing that God could possibly do was to make beings that could experience life on the same level that he himself experiences it. Let me give you a little example of what I'm talking about. Uh, a little beetle on the ground can experience life in its multifaceted way the way a dog can. But a dog can't experience life the way a human can. Differing capacities. God created angels and humans with the capacity to experience life on the, the the whole level that God Himself does. I'm not trying to say that we're like God, but we're made in His image with these capacities to enjoy and experience life <clears throat> at the various highest levels. That's the greatest gift that God could give. Now, God did this with full knowledge that by giving angels and humans freedom, that that freedom would be misused, that that freedom would cause a great deal of grief to God's heart, that that freedom would necessitate God Himself suffering intensely for long periods of time and ultimately taking on human form and suffering physically to break the power of distrust, deception, and love of that which is destructive, which is sin. Now, God foresaw all this. He knew that when He made beings in His own image with freedom of will, freedom of choice, the ability to feel, the ability to think, imagination, reason, conscience, all these things, He knew. He knew this was coming, but He still decided it's the most loving thing, it's the wisest thing, it's the best thing to make beings in my own image. And so that was all from the very start a part of God's plan. So what I'd like to do is read you some verses from a New Testament book, uh, the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome and he was writing to the followers of Jesus living in Ephesus. And here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9 through 11. Paul speaking about himself, he says, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, has kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church, that word church, it doesn't mean building, Church is a Greek word, ekklesia. It meant the called out assembly. Once we 
move away from the world system and put our trust in Christ and become His followers, we become a part of His church, His assembly. We're the called out assembly. So Paul is talking about people that are followers of Jesus. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display His wisdom in its rich variety to all the, listen to this, to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Is there life in the universe other than humans? Yes. The Bible teaches this constantly. We shouldn't be questioning it. Here, God is doing something through we humans, though. The humans that turn to Christ become His followers. He's showing a lesson. We are a living lesson to these rulers and authorities in these unseen heavenly realms. And so, He's working something out. He's showing to the universe that His will is always good, that His, uh, His activity is always governed by unselfish, sacrificial love, that, that it's not about power to God. It, it is about giving. It is about serving. It is about being a blessing. And He's showing this through us. Now it goes on to say this. Verse 11, it says, This was His eternal plan. So this plan that God had, it goes way back to eternity before anything was created. He, he thought it all through. He was never surprised by the rebellion of some angels or the rebellion of human beings. This was His eternal plan, which He carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice, the plan has now been fully activated with the reveal, the, the revelation of God's full character in Jesus of Nazareth. It was in hum, human form that God could finally show to humans and angels and the universe who He really was, what really was that, that drove Him, that it was not just sheer power, it was not a desire for control, it was not an insistence upon respect, but it was sacrificial love that caused him to do everything that he did and that he was the safest person in the universe and the most trustworthy person in the universe. It goes on to say this now in the same book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7. It says, throughout the coming ages we will be, meaning we followers of Christ, we will be the visible display of the infinite limitless riches of his grace and kindness which was showered upon us in Christ Jesus or in Jesus Christ. And then one more in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 it says but as it is written I has not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You take that one verse folks and you you meditate on it prayerfully for a while and just let the Spirit of God expand that in your imagination. Think about just one little thing, just to kind of stir you a bit. We have taste buds, so we can enjoy all different kinds of food. We have the ability to, to smell, so we, have, we, we enjoy different smells. We have eyesight. We, we, get, we get moved and blessed by beautiful scenery. We can hear beautiful sounds and we're moved. We have these minds and imaginations when we see or hear stories. We have physical senses that give us pleasure. These are just imperfect samples in this age of when God is going to pull out all the stops in eternity to come. It says, let me read it to you one more time now that you've got a little bit of an idea. Eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Listen, you might be thinking you're, you're missing out on some things in this life. The things that other people have, pleasures that other people have, you, you never had, you're never going to enjoy them. That's true of all of us in some way or another. They are nothing compared to the pleasures, the joys, the blessings, completely beyond our ability, it says in that verse, to imagine that God's going to bestow on us throughout all eternity. So, this is an extraordinary, beautiful plan that God has. 
Now, I did a series of messages about a year, maybe two years ago, called uh, The Big Picture. I, and what I tried to do is show what, what is God's eternal plan. Sometimes we just look at little slices of it and we miss the big picture. And in that series of messages, I came up with a statement, and I actually want to read it and not trust my memory. And the statement is this. God's big plan is the development of an eternal family of Christ-like beings united in loving devotion to Christ and to one another. That is God's eternal plan. So this, this drive we have, this tug we have to love and be loved, this endless quest, this endless pursuit that we have to be loved, this desire to be loved on multiple levels in differing ways and differing expressions, it's meant to turn our hearts toward our Creator. It's meant to turn our hearts toward our eternal destiny where all those longings will be fulfilled in perfection. God is going to complete His work. He's going to perfect it. And it's going to go on forever and ever and ever. Revelation 21, it talks about there's, there's going to be no more sickness, sorrow, pain, and death. All tears are going to be wiped away. The longings of every human heart that has returned to Christ in trust will be more than fulfilled for all eternity. So, this plan for love, recognizing God's purpose for relational love that He's planted in us, it is extraordinarily beautiful and it's going to be fulfilled beyond our wildest imagination. Once again, you may be feeling some pain right now. Even perhaps this COVID period has brought some relational stress. You hear on TV that this is a normal type of thing. Listen, God's got something good in store for you now in the middle of the stress and something better in store for you when this life turns into eternity. So the second thing we need to look at though, and this is where it gets complex, is we need to not just you know, focus in and discover its extraordinary beauty, but we need to accept its necessary complexity. And this is the part that's hard. Now, now why is it that if all of our life I'm wanting to be loved and give love and I want to give it appropriately to everyone that I meet and receive it appropriately, why is it that it turns into this tug of war that often ends up with a broken rope and all of us flat on our back? Why, why is that? Why is it so hard? Well, you got to go back to Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. God creates everything beautiful and perfect. He creates Adam. He creates all the animal life. And then, then God says these words. He says, it's not good for the man to be alone. Was Adam alone? No. He was not alone. He was there with God. He was there with the animals. But God knew that Adam needed someone to love. He could love upward toward God. His relationship with God was he was a receiver of love. He could give love back, but not to the degree that God could love him. He could love the animals, but the animals couldn't give back to him on a level that, you know, another being like himself. So God creates the woman. And so now Adam has a partner. He has somebody that he can love on a, on a level playing field. He can learn, in other words. He can learn how to love the way God loves. He needed a context. He needed someone, something to love. He had the animals to love, so he, he, had, he was learning to love that way. He had creation to love, but that was different. So the, the whole journey of love development starts to get complex. First it was easy. It was just God and Adam perfect world, perfect, you know, universe was, every, everything was in place other than the rebellious angels which were kept apart for a time. Then all of a sudden, Adam and Eve, still perfect relationship. They trusted God completely. They trusted one another. They, they completely were safe in one another's presence. But then one day, Genesis chapter 3, an entity, uh, a serpentine entity, 
uh, comes into the garden. They don't seem to be terribly surprised by this entity, this serpentine entity, but it speaks to them and it essentially says that God's a liar. It says that that one tree that he told you not to eat of, he told you not to eat it because if you eat it, you'll become like God yourself. So God's a liar. He's deceiving you. He's holding back from you. He wants to keep you down and under control. He wants to keep you ignorant. You see, if you eat of that tree, you'll become wise like God yourself. And we know the story. Adam and Eve go for it. They, they are deceived and they break trust with God. The scene changes quickly. God comes into the Garden of Eden just like He had done many times, but all of a sudden it's all different. Adam and Eve are hiding behind the trees in the garden. God calls out to them. They're scared. They're hiding. They don't even want to be near God. The God that they once felt totally safe and comfortable with, now they're terrified. They're afraid of. Why? Because they've been deceived. God's character was slandered. They were meant to think that God was all about power and respect and not about sacrificial love. They themselves distrusted God now, therefore they were afraid of Him. They expected to be punished. They expected Him to be angry. They felt guilt and shame. L listen to me. For the first time, these human beings that were completely full of a sense of significance and security and satisfaction before they broke trust with God, all of a sudden, they were completely disoriented. They didn't know who they were anymore. They didn't know what was sure. They didn't know what they could feel secure about. They, in fact, they couldn't feel secure about anything. If they broke trust with God, what would keep them from breaking trust with one another? If they couldn't trust the Creator, who could they trust? They certainly couldn't trust anyone. So their significance, their security, their satisfaction were all shaken and they were disoriented. This is why human relationships and human love to this day is so complex, so difficult. It's because of human beings with broken trust or insufficient trust in their Creator and human beings that are still influenced by a rebellious, deceiving angel and human beings that have now, because of their broken trust with God, become centered in ourselves. We, we center on self-preservation and we center on self-gratification. I want to live as long as I can and I want to get as much pleasure as I can because I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know what my, my destiny is going to be when I'm not relating to God in the way that I was created to relate. So it creates a very desperate situation. And that's the condition that we find ourselves in and why it's so extremely hard to love the way God loves now. Now, what is God's purpose? Now, now you've got to get this. For this series to have any meaning, for you to untangle the things that perplex you about relationships, uh, we've all wrung our hands at times and said things like, why does it have to be so hard? What's the purpose of relationships? Often we say or hear things like, well, they're to make us happy. They're to expand our, our joy, whatever it might be. Here's the truth. If you will accept this truth and keep it in the front of your mind, it will help you to interpret all of your experiences much more healthily and you will go forward and not backward. Here's the statement. God's purpose for all our relationships is that we learn to love as He loves. Let me say it again. God's purpose for all of our relationships is they are meant to be a learning experience and we are meant to learn by experience how to love the way He loves. And that's very different than the way we love. We usually define love and it's usually basically an emotional experience, but God's love is always of the will. It's always intentional. It's always sacrificial. It's always full of consideration and imagination and so forth. It's full of commitment. Now, to help you and to help me grow to learn how to love the way God loves, He's given us kind of six classrooms, six contexts 
to teach us to learn in these multifaceted ways. Now I'm going to just go through the list and, and I hope that you'll have this and you'll hear me in this series repeat this again and again. These six different contexts or uh, opportunities for you and I to learn to love the way God Himself loves. The first context that He gives us is family. You know, so you, you, ha you might be a husband and a wife, it might be parents and kids, it might be aunts and uncles, grandparents, you know, it, it gets further extended. But the first unit for us to learn how to love the way God loves is family. The second unit that he gives us is co-workers. We spend a lot of our life with co-workers. Some of us, some of us are one-third of our life. The next context he gives us is friends. We, we learn, learn to love in a different way with our friends. The next one is strangers. By strangers, I mean it's acquaintances. It might be people that we see in the community regularly, but we may not know them personally, and it might be a genuinely a stranger. So we need to learn to love in a different way when it comes to the stranger or the acquaintances. And then this next one is a grand one. We have enemies. And Jesus says we can love our enemies. He says um, we're to love our enemies, we're to pray for them, we're to bless them, we're to do good to them. So we can even learn to love our enemies. Now there's boundaries to these things. And then finally, the last category is God's put us in a context, if we're Christ followers, of Christians. We're to learn to love the Christian family, our fellow followers of Christ, in a different way as well. So there are these six different contexts or classrooms that God places us in to stretch us, to expand our horizons, to teach us to learn how to love the way God Himself loves. Listen, I'm going to repeat it again. God's purpose for all our relationships is that we learn to love as He Himself loves. Now, this inevitably brings us to some need for some new ideas about things. First of all, we need new relational expectations. Um, l let me give you a very common thing. It it's very common to hear people say, well, well, what they expect in a relationship is that the relationship should make them happy uh, or, or happier. So their husband, their wife, uh, their kids, their friends, their work associates, uh, you know, their acquaintances, whatever. The goal is their relationships should make them happy or at least happier. If, if not completely responsibility of the other person, at least happier. That's the expectation. But remember what God says. That's not the purpose. That's not the purpose for marriage. That's not the purpose for parenting. That's not the purpose for friendships. The ultimate purpose is not the purpose for acquaintances, neighbors, you know, all that kind of thing. No. I'm going to read it again. God's purpose for all our relationships is that we learn how to love as He loves. And all of these relationships give us an opportunity to learn how to love in a different way. They pull. They tug. They stretch us. They challenge us. So, because we need a new, a new relational set of expectations, uh, this kind of gets into our approach to relationships. Now, now, let me give you something to think about. If you were to look at uh, two runners, one runner is a sprinter, the other runner is a marathoner, 26.3 miles. The sprinter is maybe going 100 meters or something like that. The sprinter, to prepare for 100 meters, is going to train one way, the marathoner, is going to train very, very differently. The expectations of the sprinter in training are going to be very different from the expectations of the marathoner. The marathoner's expectations and the marathoner's way of training are going to be very different. Now, here's the fascinating thing. A marathoner can do a sprint, maybe not as fast as a sprinter, but a marathoner can do a sprint, and even after the sprint is done, the marathoner can go on. But the sprinter cannot 
run a marathon. The, the, the preparation of the sprinter does not prepare them to run a marathon. Let me give you where I'm going with this. We live in a world, we live in a society that uses terms like, well, I just fell in love or we just fall in love. And what we're saying is we have experienced a physical, visual, emotional uh, uh, attraction, affection for someone. We fall. It's a sprint. And that cannot endure for the, the duration of life. It's, it's just a one tiny facet of real love. Real love is the marathon. Real love is I'm going to learn to try to devote myself to serve and to give and to understand and figure this person out and apologize to this person a million times and re-give myself to them. It means I'm going to be a marathoner. The marathon approach is what we have to have as expectations. When it comes to learning to love the way that God wants us to learn every relationship, your marriage, it is not to make you happy primarily, although it should and will, but primarily it is to teach you to teach me how to love the way God loves. Your, your children are a joy, I hope, <laughs> but they're primarily meant to stretch you and tug on your heart so that you learn to love like God loves. And so it is with your co-workers, and this often ends up in tugs. Tugs of war or are they tugs of love? So we need, we need new relational expectations. Number two, we need new relational definitions uh, or we need new definitions of relational health. I, there's, a term, there's a term that I just hate and it's pop, been popularized in our day and age and I hope that you will throw this in, in the trash from now on. We hear this constantly. If a relationship starts to get tough, if a relationship gets hard, if a relationship gets uncomfortable, if a relationship is stressful and difficult, people will say, this is not working. And that's sort of the carte blanche to do whatever in the heck you want to do. Okay, This is not working. We need, if we're going to, if we're going to understand that God's purpose in making us relational beings, God's purpose in um, causing us to be love-driven like He Himself is, is so that we learn to love the way He loves, then we need to get rid of that definition of what is relational health. Relational health is not determined or diagnosed by the present tense difficulty or discomfort or even pain that a given relationship might be giving us. Let, let, let me give you an analogy for that. It would be like this. It would be like a, <laughs> a couch potato, a couch potato who doesn't get off the couch for weeks at a time and just does whatever they want to do. They just keep themselves entertained with games or TV or whatever, and they eat whatever they want to eat. They never exercise. They never do anything. And so that's their model. That's their definition of, let's call it relational health, because that makes them happy. Contrast that with somebody that goes to a gym or, or exercises diligently and eats carefully. You know, when you start working out, when you start exercising, you actually feel exhaustion. You actually feel some stress. You actually feel some pain. You might get sore. More than that, you have to push yourself past the comfort zone. Let me repeat that. You are not comfortable most of the time when you are exercising and eating healthily. But which person? Which person is actually growing? Which person is actually becoming the way God wants them? The couch potato who is steadily deteriorating, they're never going to fulfill, never going to realize the full human potential that God's given them? Or the person that's treating their body as the temple of the Holy Spirit the way God says, and they are 
pushing themselves. They are uncomfortable. They're even sore sometimes. They may even get some injuries in the process, but they keep on pushing themselves. And if something gets too easy, they know they've got to make it a little harder. They've got to, you know, add some weight or whatever it might be, or run a few miles further. That brings development. So to have this idea that the way we measure relational health is how easy it is, how, how nicely, how smoothly it is. That is nonsensical because once again, I'm going to repeat it, God's purpose for all our relationships is that we learn to love as He loves. And He loves us through all the bumps and all the discomfort and all the ups and all the downs and all the faithfulness and all the unfaithfulness that He has to endure as He loves us persistently and unconditionally. We, we've got to get rid of this stuff because it's killing us. We think as soon as a relationship gets a little tough that we just, we just label it, oh, this is not working. And, and, and the truth is, it is working. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. When the relationship is hard, when the relationship is tugging at us, when the relationship makes us feel like we're going to go crazy, but we, we stay faithful to God and faithful to the relationship, it's stretching us. It's expanding our capacities to love God's way, not human way, God's way. Because God loves unselfishly through the hardest of times. So we need new expectations and we need new definitions of what relational health is. Now just to show you how complex relationships can be, let me read you some verses from the New Testament. This is once again from the book of Ephesians, Paul writing to Christ followers in the city of Ephesus in chapter 4 verse 31. It says, banish bitterness. Notice you don't have to banish something unless it's already there. He's writing to Christians, folks. He's writing to those that have already put their trust in Christ and following Him, but they're struggling with bitterness. Banish bitterness, rage, and anger. Mark it. These people that want love all the time, want to be loved and give love, they are struggling, even Christ followers are struggling, with bitterness, rage, and anger. I wonder, I wonder if any of you, you've put your trust in Christ, you want to follow Him, you want to be like Him, you want to love and be loved, but you yourself might be struggling with bitterness, with rage, explosive outburst, with anger. It goes on to say this, shouting, that always accompanies the, accompanies the anger, and slander. You know, you just start slicing and dicing the other person. You put the worst construction on everything they do or say. And all malicious thoughts, malicious thoughts are, you want something bad to happen to somebody. You, you forecast bad for them. And this is written to Christ followers. This is how complex we have to accept, how complex relationships have become now. They are no longer easy. And so this notion that it should be easy is just not true at all. It goes on to say, I'm going to read it to you fluently now, banish bitterness, rage, and anger, shouting and slander in any and all malicious thoughts. These are poison. They're poison to us. They contaminate our soul. They steal our joy. They, they make us miserable. And they, they deface the image of God that God wants us to put on when we need to put that image of Christ on, we need to put these off first. It goes on to say this in verse 32, it says, instead, instead of the bitterness, instead of the rage, instead of the anger, the shouting, and the slander, and the malicious thoughts, instead, be kind to each other. This is God's kind of love. Be tender-hearted. That means I have to be kind and tender-hearted when I'm feeling kind of bitter or angry. It says, forgiving one another. That means I'm not feeling like forgiving, or I wouldn't be bitter, but forgiving one another just as God has forgiven you, me, us, because we belong to Christ. 
And then in chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 1 and 2, it says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children. Live a life filled with love. This is God's kind of love. Filled with love, following the example of Christ. So here we have the complexity laid out, honestly, in God's Word. God knows it is not easy for us to learn to love the way He loves. But He puts us in these contexts and He just keeps pouring His love into us and He keeps forgiving us and He keeps picking us up and He keeps encouraging us. And when we make mistakes, He keeps calling us back to try it again, to learn again. And He asks us and He begs us, do the same for one another. He says, you got to get rid of some things. They're going to poison this relational love. You'll never learn to love the way I do unless you get rid of bitterness, unless you get rid of rage and anger and shouting and slander and all malicious thoughts, those wishing of evil evil on people. That's poison to your soul. You got to learn to be kind. You got to learn to be tenderhearted. You got to learn to be forgiving. You don't need to forgive someone unless they've hurt you, just as God has forgiven you because you belong to Christ. And then it says, live a life of love following the example of Christ. So, we first of all have to hold on to the wonderful, beautiful, certain plan of God. God someday is going to fill the universe with beings that are just like Christ. You're going to be like Christ if you're His follower. I'm going to be like Christ. And we're going to love Him with all of our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. And we're going to love one another that same way. And there's not going to be any danger anymore. There's not going to be fear. There's not going to be anxiety. There's not going to be temptation. There's not going to be sickness, sorrow, pain, or death. It's going to be a world that is full of God's love. You're going to be full of God's love perfectly. I'm going to be full of God's love perfectly. But for now, we have to accept that this love of God, we have to accept that it is necessarily complicated because there's sin, there's Satan, there's my fears, there's my damage, there's my brokenness, there's my blindness, there's my ignorance, there's my past influences and yours. And so this notion that people ought to just know what to do and what to say and how to love, it is nonsensical. We all have blind spots. We all need patience. We all need to be taught. We all need to be forgiven. We all need to be encouraged. We all have to accept that this is a complex thing. It's hard. Let me, let me repeat again. The healthiest relationships, the ones that are fulfilling God's purpose, and what is, what is God's purpose in all of our relationships? That our souls are stretched, that our hearts are expanded, that we learn to love God's way. And loving God's way means we're loving through the best of times and we're loving through the worst of times. And that is complicated because we have needs and others have needs and they often cannot understand our needs and we more than often can't understand their needs. And so it gets complex. It's like bumper cars sometimes. We're just banging into each other, but we're, we're, we're all trying to love. We all want to be loved and we all want to love in return. So I'm going to close today by saying this and this introduction to a series and the rest of the messages are going to be extremely practical in fact next week's message i'll give you just a little taste of it it is about resolving conflict because to love god's way we have to we must understand the tools that he's given us to resolve conflict because conflict is normal i would even say to some degree it can at times be necessary but resolving it resolving it god's way is equally necessary but let me close with this i started this message off with an image of a tug-of-war that took place somewhere around 1985-86 up at Skycroft Baptist Camp uh, right there in Middletown. And so there we were. We were tugging on this incredibly thick rope that I would have thought was impossible to break. And the next thing you know, that thing stretched like a rubber band. And then pop! 
it just broke and none of us were prepared for it. I mean, none of us. We went flying. I mean, really, the, the momentum, it just, we went flying. We were falling into one another. We hit the ground. And let me tell you something. When this happened, there were people that were hurt. There were people that had real bruises, real scrapes. There were people that were bleeding. There were people that were ooing and owing. But then it all started to change. Even though we were scuffed up and we were really dirty too, uh, and we were all banged up and disoriented, all of a sudden the pain, all of a sudden the hurt, it started turning to laughter. And this is the goal, this is the key. Folks, if we hold on to God's beautiful purpose for making us in His image, giving us the capacity to experience life like He does, giving us the capacity to learn to love the way He does, that love, once it's anchored, once it's fully developed in our hearts, once it's allowed to be fully experienced in eternity to come in a, in a society where every heart beats with that same love, if we can keep that image, the perfect will come. We have the, the life we've always wanted, the experiences we've always wanted. So listen to me, some of you got to hear this right now. The love you've always wanted, it will be yours for eternity. It'll be better than you ever could imagine. You will have it in abundance and more importantly, you will have a capacity to love everyone in return with that same grand capacity that God Himself has. But he wants you and I that have put our trust in Christ, that have returned to God. He wants us to start joining Him now in learning how to love, but to really love, to love God's way. And that's a marathon. That's not a sprint. That's not falling in love. That's continuing to love the way that God Himself loves. I want to close by asking you to think about a few things. I wonder. I wonder if perhaps you've been tripped up by having an improper understanding of what relationships are meant to bring. Maybe like so many in our society, you thought relationships are supposed to bring you happiness, and they do, or at least make you happier, and often they do. But that is not the prime purpose. They are meant to stretch and develop and challenge and build us to be able to learn to love God's way. Maybe if you just change that one definition and apply it to all your relationships, it will change dramatically your level of frustration and even discouragement. Some of you, you maybe have been given a wrong diagnostic. You, you, you've got a bad definition of what a healthy relationship is. You think that when a relationship is hard, when a relationship is a struggle, when a relationship is bumpy, when you're not feeling it anymore, as people say, that, that it's not working. Perhaps you've been tricks you've been deceived by that definition no quite the opposite when it's hard when it's a struggle when it's difficult when you feel like you're not getting what you need and you have to derive it from God just to sustain yourself another day in fact it is working it's purifying our souls it's stretching us to learn to love unselfishly like God does it's not time for abandonment it's time for deepened devotion it is working maybe some of us need our expectations about relationships readjusted we somehow have gotten this notion that they should be easy, breezy, smooth all the time. And that's just not reality at all because there's complicating factors now. There's sin, sickness, sorrow. There's a, there's a bad set of angels that are out to destroy human beings. And a loving God who can't perfectly reveal Himself to us comprehensively like He will in eternity yet. He wants us to cooperate. He wants us to grow. He wants us to learn to love the way He Himself does. And as we start to just make the tiniest bit of progress, it brings its own extraordinary blessedness into our souls. It fights out the poison and it starts bringing the peace and the harmony 
that God Himself has always wanted us to experience. Let's pray. Father, it, it could be that you know someone is hearing this message today that they have been in pursuit of love their whole life long and, and like the song says, they've been looking for love in all the wrong places. Most of us do. May your Spirit direct them to yourself as you have revealed yourself in Christ. May those that have not yet trusted in you, Lord Jesus, may this be the day they sense that this is the first step to make sense of their life. They need to turn to you. They need to trust you. They need to become your followers that they too can get on this, this developmental track to learn to love with your eternal, unselfish, devoted, consistent, beautiful kind of love. I pray for others of us that have, that have gotten derailed, we've gotten confused, we've, we've got the society's definitions and ideas about love that have controlled us and deceived us. May your spirit just reinforce the truth and give us new courage, new hope, new strength, new excitement about whatever condition our relationships may be in. I ask all this, Father, in the name of your Son, through whom I know you, through whom I love you, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.